Welcome back to the Cinderella Theorem. If you missed the previous chapters, you can find them on this podcast in the episode list. And now, chapter 16. Don't eat Dulcita's mirror. Not Levi. Again. Would we never be free of that grease ball? I sighed and began to examine the evidence. Levi clearly touched the file. His greasy hands were forever betraying him. But when had he touched it? When I went downstairs for pretzels? At Hia, when I left the file on my desk while I talked to Grimm? Or had he been the one who put the file back into the archive? If that was the case, how did he get in there? He seemed like the kind of person who would be banned from the Hia office. There was no evidence Levi had touched anything inside the folder. Perhaps he wore gloves? Perhaps he never opened it? But that seemed unlikely. How could he have had the folder for all these years and never once opened it? I only had it a few hours and I couldn't help opening it. Perhaps he... I stopped myself from thinking any more about it. The greasy fingerprints would have to wait until tomorrow. I was too tired. I shoved the folder in my Smith's SFL bag and returned it to the top shelf of my closet. I brushed my teeth and went downstairs to say goodnight to my parents. They were still dancing, but managed to stop briefly for hugs, the one with King Tub was awkward, without losing too much of their rhythm. The lyrics of the song followed me upstairs. Oh, we live in a magic land, protected by the sparrow hand. There are fictional and natural citizens all are we. Yeah! As I closed my door, the rooster began crowing a verse about fairy godmothers. Those animal singers would forever be a mystery to me. I didn't sleep well. I dreamed about eye-pecking birds and baby entrails. Glenny wielded a fork and chased me around the archive, shouting, Eventually they had more children, and though they were occasionally sad about their first son, they still lived happily ever after, happily ever after, happily ever after. I woke at 2 a.m. breathing hard and a little frightened of Glenny. I couldn't get the sound of her voice out of my head. Eventually they had more children, eventually they had more children, eventually they had more children. I sat up. Colin and Selden had more children. If those children didn't vanish when everyone else in the story did, that would explain why the file hadn't vanished. I jumped out of bed and turned on my desk lamp. Hurriedly, I looked through the Candlemaker's Daughter file again. There were no vanishing records for the extra children. In fact, there was no record of the mystery children at all. It was as if they never existed. My mouth had that gross middle-of-the-night feel to it, so I went to the bathroom to brush my teeth. Getting rid of the gross feeling equals joy. Getting rid of the gross feeling plus getting to brush my teeth equals immense joy. As I started on my bottom teeth, I glanced into the mirror. My reflection had vanished and Levi was staring back at me. I spewed all my toothpaste at the mirror. (sighs) Not very far along in our etiquette classes, are we, princess? He was sitting in Marie's chair, twirling a pencil through his fingers. One leg was draped over the arm of the chair. His leather pants glistened with grease. I continued staring at him, mouth open, chin covered in toothpaste dribble. Didn't you hear me? You ought to clean up. He snapped his fingers. Automatically, I began to wash my mouth and chin. My hand moved on its own, controlled by Levi's magic. I rinsed my toothbrush and dried myself with a hand towel, then wiped the mirror clean. Much better, he said. Now we can have a nice little chat, just you and I. He cocked his head and looked at me. But I dare say you'd be more comfortable sitting. Another snap and a stool appeared behind me. The padded seat was covered in black leather. The legs were made of dark, dark wood and the whole thing looked greasy. I grabbed a towel and threw it over the seat. How resourceful. I assume you, like the other disgustingly happy Smithians, dislike grease. I gave him a shaky smile. That's a fair assessment of the situation. 
Levi flashed a greasy grin. So, princess, he began in his slippery voice, I wondered if you might have some questions for me, some questions related to, say, the candlemaker's daughter, perhaps? How did you... I began, but stopped myself. How did I know you had the file? He asked, smirking. My dear Lily, I've been working Selden's case for a very long time. I know the file well, and I make it my business to know who has it. I ignored his arrogance. What exactly do you do when you work a case? He shrugged. Different things for different people. Lots of observation and reconnaissance in the beginning. He began examining his fingernails. Mostly I just cause trouble until I find a way to make the person genuinely unhappy. Did you find a way to make Selden unhappy? He smiled. I didn't find it. It found me. Besides, any junior-ranked Dark Mesa could have found out what would push her over into sadly ever after. She was a mess. He shook his head. I did her a favor by getting it over with. I shuddered, disgusted at the callous way he talked about ruining a person's life. Dark Mesas? Like a happyologist, but working for my Lord Talus at Sia. So a Dark Mesa is an unhappyologist? And Sia is like Hia, but you make people sad? Something like that. But Sia is different from your nasty little Hia. We only exist to make your citizens sad. We don't care at all about our own. Logical. Uppish Senna was just as organized at unhappiness as Smith's SFL was at happiness. Does Tandem Talus get out like the Dark Mesas and make people unhappy? Levi made a scoffing noise. <laughs> He's the counterpart of your dear father. He was, of course, once a Dark Mesa himself, but now he coordinates the efforts of the rest of us. He doesn't have the time to be flitting around coaxing people into unhappiness. Greaseball. So you're the Dark Mesa assigned to me? Well... Levi ran a greasy hand over his greasy hair. I am the top Dark Mesa, and probably the only one qualified to vanish you, excepting my Lord Talus, of course. Well, qualified or not, you're wasting your time. I can't vanish yet, since I haven't reached happily ever after. Levi flinched a little at the words happily ever after. Besides, you've only annoyed me. Feathers and flowers aren't exactly depressing. That was true. I wasn't saddened by the Levi letters, just annoyed and disturbed. Levi smiled. Delightful as your criticisms are, especially since you know nothing of how saddening works, I suggest we move on. I doubt you brought me here to talk about dead birds and dead flowers. We still have the matter of Selden to finish discussing. I didn't bring you here, I protested. The scoffing noise again. <laughs> lily, 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 your ignorant innocence is refreshing. He flashed a smile full of pity. I'll let you ask three questions, but after that, I simply must go. I've got dry cleaning to pick up. You can't clean pants like these at home. He pointed to the greasy leather on his legs. I organized my thoughts quickly. I certainly didn't want to keep Levi from his precious dry cleaning. All right, I nodded. Question one, how did you get the file? Question two, what happened to Selden and Colin's other children? Question three, why didn't the file vanish? Levi smirked and raised his eyebrows. Excellent questions. Answer one, I stole the file from the archive. Answer two, Colin and Selden had three more sons. They all died in infancy. Answer three, files only vanish when every character has either vanished or died. Therefore, he paused, looking meaningfully at me, someone from the story is still in your nauseatingly happy land. He stood up to leave. But wait, I argued, that doesn't explain it. Everyone is dead or vanished already. Levi held up a finger. I did say only three questions. Until next time, dear princess, you can keep the stool. He bowed and disappeared. Wait! I yelled pointlessly. 
but only my reflection stared back at me. I sighed. That's sycophant. I sat on the edge of the tub and thought of about seven possibilities to explain why the file hadn't vanished, and none of them were remotely mathematical. I dragged the stool to my bedroom, shoved it in my closet, and tried to sleep. The morning found me staring once again at my face in the mirror while I brushed my teeth. I left a note for Mom, who was doing an early news show interview about her latest book, telling her I would be home late from work. I wanted to stop by Ella's. It was time to implement phase one of the Cinderella theorem. That girl needed to get out of the house and get a job. School flew by in a whirl of exclamations, notebook paper, half-truths to Corey, and beautifully solved equations. And I had a whole page of algebra for homework. I almost hated to leave it, but Kayla would probably be thrilled to write me up for being tardy. He was working on a happiness plan for Okera, Sleeping Beauty, when I arrived, and was not in the mood to hear any of my suggestions. The soothing sound CD from the Sandman worked last time, Lily. It's not as if... But that doesn't tell you why she can't sleep. If you knew that, then you could be treating the actual problem instead of just... Kalo kept thumbing through his files, ignoring me. I could try a sleeping pill, maybe. A sleeping pill? Kalo, that's crazy! I tried to move into his line of vision. She's probably stressed or worried about something, or maybe her insomnia is caused by some other magical variable, but you can't just... He held up his hand to stop me. Kara told me Okara's visits from Baldrick have been increasing, so that's probably the reason for her insomnia. But it is vital that we... Who's Baldrick? Her dark mesa. But that's not the point. If we don't get her sleeping again, she's only beauty. And we've already got one of those. I stared dumbly at him. From Beauty and the Beast, he added. Oh, yeah, right. I responded, faking understanding. Kalo sighed and closed his eyes. Perhaps, Lily, while I'm taking my nap, you could review some more of the stories. You seem to have forgotten a few. Why you're taking a nap? I asked indignantly. What about this running around trying to get okay to fall asleep? Kalo closed his eyes again and breathed deeply. Since I want to help her with her sleeping, it's got to be a night visit, doesn't it? Oh yeah, right. Kalo two, Lily zero. Kalo shook his head. I'll be in the nap room. I was working my way through Beauty and the Beast when Lane came in. Package for you, princess. He left the box on my desk. For a moment, I was torn. Was I more interested in the package or in the ending of the story? I shook my head. What was I thinking? Was I actually interested in the story? Reluctantly, I began to examine the data. Number one, the story, apart from the magic, had made sense. Number two, I really admired the daughter, Beauty, for taking her dad's punishment and sacrificing herself so he could be free. It was almost mathematical. The illegal rose picking happened, X, so then someone staying, Y, must happen. Beauty just put herself in for Y. If X occurs, then Y must also occur. Number three. I also liked that the Beast and Beauty actually spent time together and fell in love. It wasn't love because of a kiss or magic shoes or frogs turning into princes. They actually got to know each other and then fell in love. The data indicated I was clearly interested in the story, but I decided I would open the package first. It's one thing to be interested in a fairy tale, but quite another to let it control what I was doing. I opened the box and read the included note. Princess Lily, my map table told me you don't have your own map of our exciting country. How unfortunate. I've enclosed a miniature map table for your own use. It is a copy of my own. Best wishes, Avon, Prince Charming, and Chief Cartographer. A small table, about the size of a jewelry box, was under some tissue paper. I quickly found the switch. The table lit up, and a female voice said, How can you get there if you haven't tried? How can you get there without a map guide? 
What map would you like to see? Saltland, Greenland, Italy? Good afternoon, map table, I said, trying to remember what Ella and I had done in her map room. Good afternoon, princess. What map would you like to see? I'd really only turn the thing on to see if it worked. Um, I stalled, buying some time to think. Oh, I realized suddenly, show me the best way to get from here to Ella's. The only way I knew was a trek to Arthur's, followed by a massive storm and a fork. Now giving directions to Cinderella's castle, the table announced. The map changed and zoomed in on itself, showing a closer view of the first four woods south of Hia. Now showing the fastest route to the residence of Ella and Avon. Please observe the arrows, princess. I blinked and looked at the map. Arrows were appearing along the route as the table spoke the directions. Travel west to Pele Fork. Take the orange door to Ella's. Follow the usual path to her castle. The arrows reached Ella's castle. Estimated travel time, 10 minutes. The arrows disappeared. Now showing the scenic route to the residence of Ella and Avon. Once again, please observe the arrows. I grinned. The table was very efficient. Take the south road to the town of Bremen. Follow the fourth wood west to Ella's. Estimated travel time, 40 minutes. Evidently, traveling by forks made quite a difference. Is there anything else, princess? No, thank you, map table. Very well, princess. May all your travels be well guided. The table went dim, and I turned the switch to off. I carefully put the table in my bottom desk drawer, deciding that I liked using map tables. Besides being useful, based on their calculation of traveling time, they were quite mathematical. I finished reading Beauty and the Beast, and then went on to the Wild Swans, making plenty of notes. Finally, it was time to go to Cinderella's. I packed my things back into my work book bag. I had found a plastic one at my house. Plastic book bags equaled more protection for your belongings against random, emotionally charged, fairy tale land rain. I certainly didn't want the Candlemaker's Daughter file to get wet. A sheet of paper fell on the floor. It was my list of questions about Cinderella. My eyes fell on the name Miranda, that mysterious happyologist of Ella's. Miranda, who had done so well with Ella's levels, but wasn't Ella's happyologist anymore. I wondered if Grimm was in his office. Perhaps he would remember Miranda. Grimm was on the phone when I arrived. Frank and Marie are certain. He waved me in. Grease stains on the switchboard. He scribbled notes on a pad. It sounded like Levi's phone visit had been discovered. And they have no way of knowing who he called. I deliberately avoided Grimm's eyes. Hmm. Erased the phone records. Grimm wrote and spoke at the same time. Okay, Daniel. Thanks for the information. Write a report and get copies to me and the king. Grimm hung up the phone, capped his pen, and looked at me. What can I do for you, Lily? Why don't you have a mirror phone? I asked, suddenly realizing Grimm always used a normal phone. He smiled. <laughs> I ate part of Dulcita's mirror phone and she cursed me. I opened my mouth and then closed it. Grimm's reply was not at all what I had expected. I had expected something like, I think mirror phones are impractical, or I think traditional phones are more private. I sighed, preparing myself for another illogical revelation. Who's Dulcita? The witch from Hansel and Gretel. I racked my brain for a reference. They returned my bike after the storm, I said, surprised at my recollection. And, I added, slowly remembering something from Kalo's required readings, don't they have an evil stepmother? They do, Grimm confirmed. I smiled, proud of myself for remembering a fairy tale. So you ate Dulcita's mirror phone, and now you can't have one? I was a beginning happyologist, and at the time, there were no forks to allow for rapid travel. I had biked around nearly the entire seventh wood, and I was starving. I came upon a little cottage made of candy and gingerbread. Grim licked his lips. Anyway, he shook his head. In the yard were all kinds of things. Tables, chairs, dishes, you name it. 
At first, I thought it was a yard sale, but everything was really food, so I assumed it was a bake sale. I decided I would buy the mirror phone cake. I was so hungry, I started eating while I waited at the pretzel table to pay. He sighed sadly. Little did I know that Dulcita was really just brushing crumbs off her walls. She had moved the furniture outside so it wouldn't get crummy. Oh, I interrupted. Let me guess. She came outside, saw you, and angrily cursed you. Grim nodded. Exactly. Now, whenever I look in a mirror phone, I turn into a statue. My eyes went wide. Wow, that's horrible. Grim started laughing. It's not so bad, really. The curse wears off in a week, and the stone does wonders for your skin. It's just an annoying hazard, mostly. He grinned. But you didn't come in here to ask about mirror phones, did you? I stopped, calculating Grimm's total mass in stone, and paid attention. Right, I nodded. I'm doing some in-depth research on Ella for Kalo. Not exactly truth, not exactly lie. And as I was going through the file, the name of a happyologist I didn't know came up. Miranda, do you know her? Grimm half smiled and nodded. Yes, I'm acquainted with Miranda. Well, do you know why Ella switched happyologists from Miranda to my father? All the reports indicated they had an excellent relationship. Miranda was making real progress in maintaining Ella's levels. Grimm shifted in his chair. Miranda married and was considering cutting back on her caseload so she could have more time with her husband. She usually carried well above the normal number of clients and decided to scale down to an average load. Miranda never intended to drop Ella from her client list, but Levi heard about it and twisted it to serve his own purposes. I looked up. Levi? Grim nodded and continued. He told Ella Miranda was going to drop her because Miranda was too happily married to spend time with her anymore. And if you are studying Ella's file, you know her own marriage is a source of her unhappiness. Ella was jealous of Miranda's marriage and, I think, her job. So she dropped her. Miranda dropped Ella. Grim shook his head. No. Ella dropped Miranda. She changed happyologists, citing irreconcilable differences. Miranda tried to explain things, tried to make her see, but Levi's words were stuck in her mind. Grim sighed. It's too bad. He's entirely too good at what he does. I smiled uncomfortably. Really? Yes. From a Sia standpoint, he's brilliant. He doesn't just make a person sad. He thinks 15 steps ahead, but more importantly, he understands that a person's depression never impacts only them. It touches everyone close to them. I thought about Selden and her four dead children. Watching her suffer must have impacted Colin and her father, slowly destroying them. Ella's firing of Miranda had an effect on Miranda as well. She felt responsible, and her levels reflected that for a time. Grim sipped some coffee. Is Miranda still a happyologist? Yes, her office is upstairs. Grim pointed to the ceiling. Who did she marry? Grim smiled and raised his eyebrows. Me. I didn't use either of the map table's routes to Ella's. Instead, I made a detour to Once Upon a Time to speak with Puss, the talking cat owner. His tail swished around behind him and he stroked his whiskers often, but I supposed he washed his paws before he returned to work. Puss agreed to my proposal, only on a trial basis, but that was still something. I biked back around to Pele Fork and went to Ella's. Everything near her castle was still impeccably neat. The grass was amazingly green and perfect, as if it were daring you to litter and destroy the happy picture. I used the glass, or gold, slipper, door knocker to announce myself. Nothing happened. I knocked again and waited. Ella was breathless when she finally came to the door. Lily! She rested her hand on her chest while she breathed deeply. What a wonderful surprise! Do come in! I followed her into the parlor. I apologize for keeping you waiting, Lily. I gave the maid the day off, and I was up in the attic cleaning and didn't hear the door. Then, when I did, I had to run to answer it. Oh, that's fine. 
I wondered if other princesses cleaned out their own attics. I pictured Okera finally finishing hers and being able to sleep again, her mind cleared of the nagging, disorganized attic. I'll bring some tea. Hella and her deep breathing went out of the room. I looked around the room and noticed the furniture was positioned differently. The entire room had been rearranged, and now the furniture faced the window instead of the door. You've moved the furniture, I commented as Ella returned. She looked around the room. Oh, yes, I did. She shrugged her shoulders. I was bored over the weekend, so I decided to make a little change. That's nice, I blinked as I realized the walls had been painted also. Ella had a very loose definition of little. Did Avon help you? Ella smiled and raised her eyebrows. <laughs> no, Avon was at Olympus all weekend. Mount Olympus, where all the gods live? I surprised myself again. My fairy tale retention level was rising. Ella nodded. Neptune's map of the seafloor got dry, so it was completely ruined. She sipped her tea. He went over there after finishing the map of Avalon. I'm not sure when he'll be back. It takes ages to map out the seafloor. I can imagine. I agreed, calculating the square mileage of the ocean floor. I sipped my tea and decided to change the subject. Oh, by the way, I began, wanting my precious Cinderella theorem to seem as unplanned as possible. Do you happen to know anyone who paints? Pictures, I mean, not rooms. I glanced at the lavender walls. Ella smiled at my clarification and looked thoughtful. Well, I, um, yes, I might possibly know someone who paints. Her words were slow and halting. Wonderful. I'm working with Puss in Boots. He's distraught about a recent downturn in business at the restaurant, I lied. There was no way to half-truth this story, although Puss had agreed to comply with my story if I asked. I just hope Kayla didn't find out. Puss thinks if he had art displayed for people to look at and maybe even purchase, he'd attract more business. Well, that's odd. Ella added some milk to her tea. I was in Once Upon a Time the other day, and there was quite a crowd for dinner. It's the lunch crowd, he's worried about. I lied again, hoping there was no magical curse lurking in the atmosphere waiting to pounce on liars. Oh... Ella stirred her tea thoughtfully. I wonder, she went on, I used to paint. Her eyes glazed as she remembered. Really? I faked surprise. You painted? Yes, Ella smiled. I really enjoyed it. There's just something about holding a brush. It makes you feel completely different. You can say things you can't normally say. I smiled. Well, if you've got some paintings lying around, or if you want to make some for Puss, you should talk to him. He's very anxious to boost that lunch crowd. I changed the subject after that, but I could tell Ella was still thinking about the paintings. She was probably going through them in her mind, picking out the best ones. I thanked her for the tea and made plans to come back sometime soon for another friendly visit. On the ride home, my conscience raised a few doubts about the Cinderella theorem. It was probably technically wrong to trick Ella like that, but Puss was open to displaying the work. He just wasn't having any trouble with his business. And given Ella's touchy history when it came to her happyologist, it might not have been a good idea to take advantage of her and be friends just to prove she could be happy by being normal. But it was all for a good cause. The ends justify the means. Having Ella reach happy by being normal was considerably greater than any conscience pricking. I decided to stop back by Hia to grab a few more tales to read. Once I finished making Cinderella normal, I'd need a new subject. Who would be next? I was quiet as I went through the cubicles. I didn't know where Kalo's nap room was, and I didn't want to wake him. I didn't need any Kalo questions about where I had been or what I'd been up to. But I canceled all of my previous quietness by shouting, Sweet Pythagoras! at the stranger sitting at Kalo's desk. Who are you? I apologize for frightening you, princess. He stood. I'm Thomas the Miller, Kalo's oldest brother. He went on when it was clear that Thomas the Miller hadn't cleared things up for me. Oh, I said, breathing more slowly. He smiled. 
When do you expect Caleb to return? I don't know. He's taking a nap. Thomas raised his eyebrows. Taking a nap? I nodded. He's got to make a night visit. Sleeping Beauty can't sleep. Of course. Thomas nodded in understanding. I'll leave a message for him then. He looked around. Do you have a pad of paper or... I grabbed a pencil and pad off my desk. Here. Thank you. He sat down at Kayla's desk to write. I sat at my own desk and pretended to be reading some of my files. Thomas finished, said goodbye, and left. I counted by threes to 99, then got up to read the note. Kalo, swing by the mill when you get a chance. I found something I think you should see. It's important. Thomas, I wonder what could be so important. I mentally searched my Kalo data and remembered that Kalo was the second of the three Miller's sons in Puss in Boots. Thomas got the mill, then the younger brother got the talking cat, and Kalo got an old coat and a hat and made his way in the world. Mills don't exactly equal places of great mystery and intrigue. What, other than grain, could you find at a mill? And why should Kalo see it? Thank you for listening to this chapter. If you can't wait a week for the next installment, you can always purchase the Cinderella Theorem on Amazon.com in either a print or Kindle version. If you have friends who would enjoy the story, tell them about this podcast. I love to hear from my fans, so if you have a question for me, please reach out on the Lily Sparrow Chronicles Facebook page. Until then, may all your stories have happy endings.